Novel Magics Chapter 5 The Deal The hallway was so long, Casey couldn't see an end. He walked a few paces ahead of the old man, footsteps echoing off the walls and ceiling. The old man looked ill, a gaunt skeletal frame poking out of thin, sallow skin, as though a single trip or misplaced sneeze would send his pieces scattering. But the way he moved was without any of the hesitation or fragility Casey associated with old age. His eyes, obsidian dots with a gaze that cut like sharpened flint, held only focus and something worse than hunger. He held the gun at Casey's back, keeping him close enough that no matter how fast Casey might move to get away, the old man couldn't help but hit him. Do you mind putting that thing away? Casey asked. It's making me nervous. Not as long as you're holding that tome, the old man said, his voice as dry and thin as his skin. Don't want you trying to escape. Don't want you destroying more of these walls for that matter. Curators can't use tomes, Casey said. Despite what he himself had done not five minutes ago, Casey still knew this for a fact. I'm aware, yes, but that didn't seem to stop you, the old man replied, his jacket rustling as he shrugged his shoulders. So I think it's best for both of us if I keep this thing right where it is. Got me. Casey nodded absently. The realization of what he had done was only just starting to sink in. His brain allowed out of high gear for the first time since waking up attached to that machine. Not being able to use a tome was the whole reason one became a curator in the first place. Not many residents of Old Town worried about attending a college or university, which would be out of their price range anyway, except for those who had tomes. A tome meant a chance for access to the outside world, meant one could find a job in the main city or go to another city entirely where the stigma of Old Town was non-existent. As long as they left Old Town behind, most didn't care where they wound up. Construction workers with kinetic tomes, doctors with healing ones, lawyers and lawmakers and businessmen who could all see the future one sentence at a time. Athletes and sanitation workers who could call forth the powers of nature and the elements until their well of words ran dry, each sentence, each disruption burning off the page like a used match. Only those without the use of tomes, without that promise, became curators. Casey's family, the Lewises, had been curators for hundreds of years, watching over and caring for the Athenaeum. Since just after the Inferno days, they had found that no tome would ever suit them. In seven generations, never had there been any healers or seers of the future. Never had there been anyone who could cause Earth to move or, at a word, make music that would drive someone insane. Never had a single tome found them agreeable. The Athenaeum itself, however, was another story. Their family spent so much time walking the stacks of the Athenaeum, became so intimate with its gently curving hallways and rough floors, that one of Casey's great-grandfathers claimed it could speak to him. At night, when he was alone in a room, a voice would come, 
along with a feeling of being driven towards it, as though standing in a strong wind. It was this intimacy that allowed Casey's family to become curators in the first place. By a series of deaths and marriages over the last 15 years, Casey had become the last, the final curator. As they walked down the echoing, too-well-lit hallway, the old man occasionally grunted right or left, guiding Casey down different corridors, each exactly alike, each hidden behind doors that blended into the wall seamlessly. A quiet, creeping claustrophobia grew in Casey's gut, slowly moving up his spine into his mind. How did the old man know where they were? How could he keep track in this hamster maze of sterilized walls? Casey couldn't be sure, but more and more it felt as though he was underground, deep, the weight of tons of earth and city above crunching down on the corridors, wanting to make them collapse like a cracked egg. As they walked, the floor slanted upward, gently at first, but by the time they reached the top, Casey was sucking wind. The hallway had finally come to an end with a steel door, a push bar across its middle saying, Testing facility. Do not enter when red lights are flashing. Clarkson didn't scramble your brain with her little toy, did she? The old man asked. What? Casey asked. Open. The door. The old man said, slowly and clearly, with the same tone of voice one might use for a slow or stubborn student. Casey pushed against the bar, stepping into the next room, a feeling of unease settling over his body. At first, Casey was reminded of a school gymnasium or basketball court. Laminated and polished floors, high ceilings, and several air vents that looked big enough for a person to walk through. Lights and switches all sitting behind metal protective grates. Then Casey noticed the details, and the room came into focus as something between a science class, a doctor's office, and a library, after a tornado had been through each in turn. Every wall had cabinets and shelves that hung over slate or rubber-topped counters. Each counter held machines that looked like something out of a hospital supply catalog. Rectangular tables were positioned around the room in a grid pattern, each one leaving space for two or three people to walk abreast without bumping their elbows on anything. Papers of all sizes, weights, textures lay strewn across many of the desks. Some of these papers were bound together, others torn and scattered like discarded moths. The walls were thick slabs of dark granite, their surfaces polished so well they shone like mirrors. High enough that anyone in the room could see it, blocky letters spelled Adirac Research Facility Number 3 on each of the room's four walls. The man steered Casey towards one of them, and he was forced to see his own reflection. An overweight man in his thirties, who wanted a cigarette and a nap. The last curator alive, ladies and gentlemen. First one to use a tome, but held hostage by some mad old man with a gun. As they walked, Casey saw tomes. Dozens of them, in various states of what could only be described as dissection. He recognized a few as ones he had checked out to people himself. 
He couldn't remember the patrons themselves, of course, but he never forgot a tome that came across his desk. Casey saw one laying flat on a desk, titled Rat and Other Languages of the Deep. A memory clicked into place. He had given this one to a little girl no more than seven years old. She had not spoken once, merely came into the Athenaeum and walked right up to the tome all by herself, as if drawn to it. That had been, what, five years ago? Casey felt his jaw tighten as he saw that the tome's cover lay spread out flat, completely empty of its pages. What the hell are these doing here? Casey asked, feeling tension in his shoulders. His teeth ground harder, an impotent rage battering against the inside of his chest. The old man fired the gun into the air, and Casey dropped so hard to his knees that it hurt. He threw up his hands, hoping that this wouldn't be the end. The weapon was pressed into the back of his head, its muzzle hot, burning almost like a brand. Casey flinched away from the heat. What the fuck? he asked, panic and anger in his voice. You looked like you were getting a little tense, the old man said, his voice the sound of dry pages rubbing together. I just wanted to remind you very clearly that the more calm things stay, the better they will be for the both of us. Casey wanted to say something brave yet cool, intelligent yet cutting, but all he had was fear. There were no witty comebacks, he had no fight, and honestly no hope that he would survive the next ten minutes. I'm calm, Casey said. We're both calm, right? Yeah. Go ahead and stand up, Mr. Lewis, the old man said, taking a step back, allowing Casey to once again reach his feet. He was shaking so bad that when they reached the door, also seamlessly hid into the wall, Casey had difficulty pushing it open. Behind the door was an office. It was huge, running along most of the testing facility's wall. The shared wall was apparently one way, allowing everyone in the office a nearly infinite view of the lab itself. It was filled with desks and stacked high with tomes and papers. The walls covered with cork and chalkboards, charcoal drawings of something that looked like a tunnel bending in on itself. The old man sat in one of the chairs and motioned with the gun for Casey to sit across from him. Casey eased himself into the chair, mouth dry, unsure of what to expect. As you can see, the old man said, we've been busy as beavers. Do you have any thoughts? Casey opened his mouth to speak, but shut it again, not trusting himself to talk. I take it you're not a fan, the man said. Should I be? Casey asked. You're doing what? He gestured around the office. Destroying tomes? Stealing them? I recognized some of the ones you had out there. They belonged to people. The old man's expression didn't change, his face stony, except for what might have been a slight upturn of the lips. Do you know who I am? the old man asked. Do you have any idea where you are or why I brought you here? Why we put the wires in your head and why we're so interested in that little book? The man pointed at the tome in Casey's hand. When Casey didn't answer, the old man continued. Well, 
Let's start with an easy one, the man said. My name is Felix Adarak. I and my brother own this place. The old man, apparently an Adarak, yes, one of the Adaraks, gestured around him, his hand moving in a languid circle. Jesus, Casey said, rubbing his face with his hands. Yes, Felix said, a predatory smile on his face. So, what do you want with me? Is it this tome? You want this back? Casey asked, holding up the offensive little object. His arm was shaking with effort from holding it. It was so heavy, too heavy for something its size. He tried to drop the tome. Really, he did. His brain sent signals to his fingers to let go of the thing, but it was like a type of paralysis. Sweat broke out on his forehead. He held the thing up to his face, examining his fingers closely. Slowly, cautiously, Casey shifted the weight of the tome to his other hand, but now it wouldn't open. Casey gritted his teeth, thinking furiously. He tossed it in the air, intending to move his hand out of the way in time for it to fall, but at the last moment, he caught the thing. It was as though in the midst of dropping it, a terror of the thing being damaged overrode his senses. You can't drop it, can you? Felix asked, something on the desiccated side of humor in his voice. Dr. Clarkson said something like this might happen. Just try putting it in your lap for now. Casey stopped trying to drop the tome and did as the man said, finding that his hands could at last let go of the thing. You see, it just wants to be in contact with you, Felix said, murmuring as if to himself. No idea why. Real tomes don't do this. It's a problem we have to solve. You talk about this thing like it's alive, Casey said. It is, Mr. Lewis. It very much is. His obsidian eyes suddenly looked up into Casey's, pinning him to the spot. It felt like being stared at by a large cat. Do you know how many parts of this city are only able to function because these tomes are around? He asked. More than I'd like to consider, Casey said, not even having to think about it. More than anyone's really aware of, honestly. Doesn't that strike you as a problem? Felix asked. Not in particular, Casey said, brainstalling, trying to figure out where the hell this conversation was going. Well, I do, Felix said. We have one. He held up a long, spider-like finger for emphasis. One place the tomes appear, and that's your Athenaeum. What if something happened to it? How long could this city continue to function? Hospitals, firefighters, police officers, hell, even butchers and bakers all rely on tomes in one way or another, even if they don't realize it. What if something were to happen to that place of yours, or to Old Town for that matter? You mean like someone setting it on fire? Casey asked. Felix froze, his eyes narrowing. Come again? What? Casey asked. Those goons of yours, at least I assume they were yours, waltzed into the Athenaeum and lit the goddamn thing on fire. This was after, by the way, after the woman they chased there rammed her car through the front wall. Casey felt a cold chill run through him, 
as all color drained from Felix's face. The man seemed to shrink inward, as if his mind had folded deep into some recess, not moving, barely breathing. After a moment in the dead silence, Kesa realized that he too had slowed down his breathing, trying to make it quieter because regardless of any kind of logic, some instinct told him it was the right thing to do. Felix finally moved, coming to life one piece at a time, his eyes blinking large and moist, his breathing a loud, wet thing that filled Casey's ears. The old man was sucking wind like he had just run a marathon. All right, Felix said, murmuring to himself. My timeline has just moved up. Things are unfolding too fast for my liking, but what can you do? He refocused on Casey. Mr. Lewis, uh, Casey, I hope you don't mind me calling you Casey. Right now, you have two options. Option number one, you help me understand the tomes. Your family has been in the Athenaeum since I was a young man, and I believe you to be an asset for now. Let me guess, Casey said, voice flat with terror. Option two is you put the wires back in my brain. Let no one say the curator is a fool, Felix said, a smile on his face, his eyes almost glittering. You have to understand, though I suppose you can't with how little you know. You are necessary. I need your help, regardless of what you are willing or unwilling to do. I would prefer cooperation, but if not... Felix let the thought trail off. Casey thought about it. He really did. He knew that whatever was going on here couldn't be good for anyone in Old Town or the rest of the city for that matter. But what choice did he have? The thought of being back on that table, of being pavloved into obedience, made him nauseous. Casey bowed his head, as if in prayer, elbows resting on his knees, and finally gave into the exhaustion he felt. I agree to do this, and that machine I was attached to earlier? You keep that far, far away from me, Casey said. Deal. Felix replied, another rictus, humorless smile spreading across his face as he extended his right hand towards Casey. Casey reached out and grabbed the man's hand. It was feverishly hot, the skin paper thin, the joints strong as iron. Thin fingertips dug into the back of Casey's hand as Felix pulled him in close, close enough to smell the old man's breath. Casey wanted to cringe away but couldn't, trapped partly by terror, partly because now to move wrong, to disobey even unintentionally, meant facing that voice in the ceiling, that not-quite-human voice that praised him as it flooded his mind with dopamine, or scolded him as it flooded his nervous system with raw lightning. He could not face it again and hope to stay sane. I think you and I, Felix said, Voice low, obsidian eyes locked on and cutting into Casey's wide, terrified stare, are about to do something truly remarkable together. Hey everyone! This is Michael Austis, author of Novel Magics. Thank you very much for listening. 
New episodes come out the first Sunday of every month, so feel free to come by next time as well. Big news, we're now on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. Over the next few weeks, this show will be on even more podcasting platforms. You can find us by searching Novel Magics on any one of these. While you're there, please consider leaving us a review. If you enjoyed what you just heard and would like to help this podcast grow, please consider checking out our Ko-fi account. You can find it at ko-fi.com slash novelmagics. Ko-fi allows listeners to donate to this podcast without worrying about things like subscriptions. In the land of one-time payments, no amount is too great or too small, and every penny you give goes towards improving the quality of this podcast. Thank you again for listening so, so much, and I hope to see you next time. Please stay safe out there. Novel Magics is an original story, written, recorded, and produced by Michael K. Ostis.